I never considered documentary. I always wanted to be a narrative filmmaker and it wasn't until I got older um, and appreciated documentaries more, but also just recognizing that um, the stories that I'm drawn to and a lot of the stories that I want to tell are usually somewhat rooted in reality or real life. So whether that means turning that idea into a script or doing a documentary or a little bit of both um, is kind of where my, uh, my personal filmmaking lies now. This is Commonplace, the show about creative people and the things that inspire them. I'm Nathan Thomas. Today on the show, we have Jillian Carney Howe, a filmmaker from Putnam County, West Virginia, who currently works in production management at Walt Disney Animation Studios. Her latest project with Disney is the feature film Wish in theaters in November. She's also the head of the nonprofit Shine on West Virginia, a social media project that helps shed a spotlight on artists from all across the mountain state. She also writes and directs films of her own, the latest being Zane, a documentary about her childhood best friend with developmental disabilities. In our conversation, we talk about how her day job influences her work with Shine On, the best takeaways she had from film school, but we begin by talking about a sold-out Los Angeles screening of Elaine McMillian Sheldon's King Cole attended by West Virginians working in the entertainment industry. Here's my conversation with Jillian Carney Howe. Yeah, that was really, really great. Um, and it was so funny too, because like people I knew um, maybe knew each other through other avenues, whether that was like, you know, doing view alum groups or things like that. And it was just really great to um, continue to make those connections between West Virginia creatives. Um, since I've moved out of the state, it just happens everywhere. Um, that connection, that community that we have from West Virginia is like very deep. Um, so that was amazing. And getting to see the film with other people that appreciate West Virginia and the, the place rather than just outsiders who don't understand it and maybe would be quick to judge, you know, that was just great. And uh, someone even told me, they're like, are you like building a mafia of West Virginians? Like, how did you do this? <laughs> there were some people there that we didn't know, but like we sold out the theater, you know, so. It's so funny that you referred to it as a mafia, too, because uh, well, I'm not sure if it's a current thing or it's what they were called in the past, but there was a group of Nashville session musicians that kind of joked and called themselves the West Virginia mafia oh. uh, because they were just a bunch of people from the mountains down in Nashville recording country music. Nice. Yeah. That movie too, when we screened it as part of the Appalachian film festival, there was such an energy to it, watching it in the room with other locals. Yeah, for sure. And at least for me, Growing up in Putnam County um, and knowing I wanted to be a filmmaker, everyone was like, do you know Elaine? Do you know Elaine? You should look up Elaine. And so, you know, we've sent emails back and forth uh, for a long time. And I was actually in the red carpet bleachers when they were nominated for the Oscar and got to see them come in and everything. Um, and this was like the first time that we'd actually like met face to face and like stopped and talked to each other. So that was really special too. Oh, that's so fun. Being the like two people in the bleachers yelling Elaine, Elaine. Yes, people were like, "Who is that?" Because that is one thing about the Oscars is when you're watching it on TV, like you have somebody announcing who it is. Um, but if you're on the bleachers, you literally are just like have to be really good at recognizing people. So then people turn around and like, "Who is that?" I was like, "Documentary filmmakers from West Virginia." With all of the people that from. West Virginia or Appalachia that you know within California, what's like the most surprising position that any of them have? And it's like, oh, wait, you're from West Virginia and you do that? Yeah. Um, so one that I came across uh, that was like really surprising to me, and this kind of started early on when I was building Shine on West Virginia, um, which is my nonprofit social media project. 
And I decided like, oh, there's so many cool West Virginians. We have to talk to them. We have to kind of document this. Um, one of the final ones that I met was Jim Thornton. Um, he is the announcer on Wheel of Fortune and he is from Huntington and he has been there for years and years. Um, and I found that out cause I was at a Wheel of Fortune taping and one of the little old ladies in the crowd was like, where are you from? He's like, I'm from a town called Huntington. And of course, then we started talking and, uh, his nephews go to my alma mater high school and just, you know, all the West Virginia things. But that was a really big one for sure, where I was like, what? I grew up hearing your voice and had no idea. Growing up in Putnam County was making like movies or videos, the first like artistic thing you attached yourself to, or had you played with other mediums before uh, that became the thing. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to be an author. I was always driven to like storytelling. I was a big reader, um, wanted to be an author, but was terrible at like finishing what I was writing. So even in elementary school, like I, I remember I wrote, um, a lot of stuff by hand too. I mean, I was a computer kid, but I was just constantly writing and figuring out ideas. And so that was kind of like my first artistic passion. I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a writer. Um, and then when I started and I had already been making videos for fun, like at home with a Barbie video camera that records straight to VHS. Um, but it was really when I discovered editing software, um, Windows Movie Maker on my mom's Windows XP that I started taking with the greatest transitions oh my gosh, ever. The best and the best like title cards, the best. Oh God. Um, that like blue background that everyone used because they couldn't figure out how to change it. Yes. And everyone had like the, the credits would roll. Like everything was a rolling credit because you're like, that's just what you did. Um, but yeah, so I started learning how to edit with um like just a digital camera very consumer grade and would shoot skits with friends um and that just kind of like kept kept growing and i think it was a lot of like self-starting curiosity of just like oh i want to make that like i want to see that exist and just going for it and this would have been like right as youtube was really becoming yeah. a thing to that late like 2000s kind of era where people were still figuring out what youtube was going to be too so you could kind of do anything for sure and we copied a lot of those people <laughs> like and i mean like there we i think the first video that we posted was just on myspace's video player and then we grew from there but there were um a lot of people at school that would watch our videos and stuff. And we got like decent views for that time. Um, they're terrible. They're terrible. But uh, yeah, that was like really pivotal of like, oh, I can actually take an idea and edit it together and do it visually and um, just kind of kept upgrading equipment and, and ideas and stuff from there. Were you always like considering the work you do now and the things you've put out, were you always like narrative based or were you doing like music videos or documentary at that time? I was not doing documentary. I did do some music video stuff, but that usually that took off more like in high school. Um, I never considered documentary. I always wanted to be a narrative filmmaker and it wasn't until I got older um, and appreciated documentaries more, but also just recognizing that, um, the stories that I'm drawn to and a lot of the stories that I want to tell are usually somewhat rooted in reality or real life. So whether that means turning that idea into a script or doing a documentary or a little bit of both um, is kind of where my uh, my personal filmmaking lies now. Were there any like direct influences to that or was it just like the way that your school and background lined up? there were any direct influences to it. it's honestly like personal taste I think where like I love people and I love talking to people and I think like real life I feel like is the most fascinating thing um there's so many interesting stories out there that uh need to be told or inspire me in one way or another whether it's like hilarious 
or if it's like something heartwarming or um, advocating for people or a certain need. Um, I think it's just kind of like what has really like struck a chord with me. I was interviewing uh, Rachel Peckham, a Marshall professor, uh-huh. and she is predominantly like nonfiction writing. And she was saying the same things about why she prefers to like read and write nonfiction. It's just she sees so much interesting about like the real world that like she kind of doesn't want to dwell in anything fake. Yeah. Well, and for me, I'd say too that like, Um, A lot of the stories that I tell, even the narrative ones, are inspired by real events. So, like, my my senior thesis at UNCW for film school was a musical, um, and it was about a girl whose dress gets caught in her bike chain, and she's left stranded on the street, and she is on her way to see her dad for the first time in, like, 10 years. Um, And that was based on two real life experiences. One was when my dress got caught in my bike chain and I got stranded on the street. And then I took inspiration from a friend's story um, about their relationship with their dad and, you know, to add more kind of like heightened drama to it. Um, And so, you know, drawing off those two experiences. And then my other senior film was a short comedy, a sketch Um, about a girl who is on a bad date and goes into the men's bathroom and kind of gets stuck in there. Um, And that was based on a friend's story. So I'm always kind of like stealing and mining things. And um, I'm definitely at the point too, that I'm ready to uh, make my first, you know, feature film. Like I'm, I'm like, that's kind of like the two year goal, the two year plan, Um, whether it's independent or whether I'm able to, you know, get financing and and work through a friend who's a producer who's starting their own production company out here. Um, But like both of those ideas that I'm working on are also based on true stories, which kind of makes me move slower because I want to research um, and take my time and work closely with those people. So it is slower, but I think it's, it's making sure that you do it right too. And I will say too, that my next short documentary that I'm going to start shooting in January is about Thurmond, West Virginia. And so I'm really looking forward to diving into Thurmond and seeing if that's a, a place that I could set a, um, a feature, a narrative feature. Going to film school, what do you think were the biggest things that you took from that and the things that really help you within your career now? Yeah. So I went to university of North Carolina, Wilmington, which is about eight hours away from, uh, where I lived in West Virginia. I did go to Marshall my freshman year um, to use my Promise Scholarship because you couldn't join uh, UNCW's film school until your sophomore year. Um, And that was still really beneficial because I think it gave me um, a better appreciation of what was available to me at Marshall to continue um, my education like towards film. So like I took classes knowing that I wasn't gonna stay there Um, that were still beneficial to me. Um, Out of film school, I think what I learned the most is that like, it really, you can get like the best education ever, but it really just depends on your abilities and your ambitions to like, ambitions to push yourself. So, because I sometimes being out in LA now, I come across a lot of USC students and I'm always like, kind of like, ah, I wish I could have like, that sounds so cool. Um, but you know, like what I got out of UNCW was really a community similar to West Virginia where, um, some of the people that I've networked with and, and met with and, um, want to make stuff with are UNCW grads who still kind of have like that Appalachian homey kind of vibe. Um, that makes it feel like a natural fit. I would also say too that um, it was like a step up to be in a film community where Wilmington has sound stages and has professionals and has projects come through. And that kind of inspires the indie community there. So the indie community is really active. And when I was in West Virginia at that time, I don't feel like that was the case. Like in 2012, 2013, I don't feel like um, 
the indie community was super active, at least not in the spaces that I was in as, you know, a high schooler. Um, and it, it makes me really excited that Huntington's indie scene has built up similar to kind of like what Wilmington is. And I think that, you know, Tisha Bumgarner's program at Marshall is like a huge reason for that. And I love um, everything that they're doing. And so honestly, like I was a dual like at UNCW, you do production and you also do film analysis, like critical studies, as they called it. Um, so I did a little bit of production, made a lot of films on my own. And it was nice to have like people to crew and make it more professional. But I did a lot of critical studies too. a lot of people poo poo the critical studies. I love it. I love an English class. Like I want to analyze your piece of art. And I think it's made me, um, have a better understanding of the different ways that people may interpret the film that you work on. Um, it makes you a little bit more responsible for the interpretation. And um, I think it just makes me a better storyteller to be able to kind of analyze my own thoughts and think like, what if? Um, and yeah, I had a lot of great opportunities in Wilmington. Wilmington has one of the best film festivals for independence, Kukaloris. So I got to volunteer there. I actually had two of my films screened there in 2017. I think he went to a different UNC campus, but like that idea of building a community and staying in that region and making things within the people you know there, like a good example of that is Danny McBride, who like now has that massive studio in South Carolina mm -hmm. where they're building sound stages, they're shooting their HBO shows, movies or whatever down there. Uh, and it's because he met other people at UNC through his program and they're just getting to create their own community and infrastructure there that just didn't exist before. For sure. And I think that's something that, um, being able to still be in like a homey community um, is really what inspires like Shine on West Virginia for sure. So I was, I had a job uh, called uh, as a filmmaker at a nonprofit called Building a Better Wilmington Campaign. And we essentially went out and made short videos on different nonprofits to give them free marketing materials. And so their uh, structure was very similar to the shine on structure of going and talking to people, getting footage, kind of like having this free promotional thing for these artists, but also it's beneficial for the viewers. Um, and so I feel really indebted to my ability to make films and get paid for it, like kind of for the first time, um, at UNCW as well. It is interesting that you bring up this like lull in the, West Virginia indie scene at the time too, because um, Pella Felton used to do a interview series. And this was like in the wake of we are Marshall where like indie filmmakers around here kind of had the run of the town because people were so excited about movies, but that kind of uh, that can only there's, this is not a pun that can only shine for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of died off. And by the time uh, I met him, David Smith hadn't made a feature for a couple of years. He was just doing shorts. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is so exciting to see. And I, I know he's living that tour photographer life now, but like Caden Tooley, the Impact Media oh, yeah. guys, Hunter Way, Dylan Smith's incredible. Uh, it's so exciting to see what they can build within the filmmaking world. Oh, for sure. For sure. I've loved working with Caden. Um, he shot a lot of our earlier stuff and it's funny too. And, and Caden shot the majority of my documentary with Josh Likens coming in once Caden got his job uh, to finish it up. And Josh does amazing work too. Um, but it's funny to, to look back at the old videos I did with Caden and just see him continue to like elevate and get better, like literally months apart. Um, there's so much talent in West Virginia. Coming out of college, how did you wind up with Disney? Was Disney just this like 
cultural monolith within your family where it's like, I'm going to work for the mouse or did it just kind of happen? Um, I would say a little of both. So I did a Disney college program uh, in 2015 where I worked in the theme parks and worked at star tours in Hollywood studios. I did attractions. And so the Disney college program is really popular, um, especially for fans of the company. I would highly recommend it because for six months you're literally living at Disney world and working at Disney world and you get all the perks and all the behind the scenes and you're with people from all over the world. So if you're like me and you don't know a stranger and you love to make new connections, like it's, it's perfect. Um, but when I left the Disney college program too, like I kind of had it in my mind, like, Oh, this is going to help me, you know, reach my goal of maybe working for Disney and film, but I didn't really have a goal. Like it's funny looking back at film school, like I was just like, yeah, I'm going to be a filmmaker. And it's like, that's not really a job unless you find funding and you can't do that until you're like established. It's this circle. Right. But so I knew that I wanted to kind of like work somewhere. I wasn't just going to be an indie filmmaker right out of school. So I, um, applied to a bunch of different internships, but really the shoe in was a West Virginia connection. And so my mom, uh, worked at the news at WCZ in the 80s. And one of her journalism colleagues worked at something called PM Magazine, uh, had ended up getting a job in Disney's marketing department, um, which is called Yellow Shoes, Disney's Yellow Shoes creative group, because Mickey has yellow shoes. And um, I was connected with him after I came back from my college program. Um, one of my mom's other colleagues was like, oh, yeah, you have to put him in touch. And my mom was like, I have not talked to him in 30 years. But um, it was really great because the, the chance that I really took is that he told me, well, if you're ever in L.A., I'll show you around the office. And I was like, oh, and I booked a trip to L.A. And I was like, it just so happens I'm going to be in L.A. in June. And so. Um, you know, kind of taking those big swings and chances is what ended me up there. So there was no job offer. Um, in fact, the internship was posted when Terry was doing, Terry was the connection when he was um, filming the opening of Shanghai Disney. So he was not even in the country. And then they took the post down really quick. And I did not get my application in in time. And then on my graduation day from UNCW, I was going to move to Atlanta and work at Starbucks. And then I was going to do another Disney college program. Um, I got an email from Terry and was like, do you want me to throw your, I'm back. And I hear them doing interviews. Want me to give them your resume? And I was like, yes. And I thought that I, they said a recruiter was going to reach out at a certain time. And I thought that was an interview because that's how jobs work. But because they'd already met me and I toured the office and, and was vouched for and they liked my resume, it was a job offer. And so I had two weeks to not go to Atlanta and to move to Los Angeles, had to find an apartment, had to figure everything out. Um, and that was in uh, June of 2017. And then um, my internship ended in June of 2018. And unfortunately, there was no job offer there. And once you get more into like a bigger corporation, you hear about like headcount and just not having job opportunities or the ability to hire. And that was what happened. Um, and so then I did a brief uh, stint doing some freelance editing. And from there, um, and I was doing some freelance PA work as well, including at Disneyland. Anytime they film anything at Disneyland, they bring in Disneyland PA. So I did some of that. But um, so I didn't have a job, but to backtrack a little bit, I um, met an animator. I went to the Oscars Trailblazing Women of Disney Animation event, and I saw Amy Smead speak. And Amy was head animator on just Moana at the time, but now she has many of our films under her belt, including Raya and Strange World. And um, I saw Amy speak and I sent her an email. And normally, like, especially out here, I send emails all the time of like, hey, I love your work. Like, I'd love to get coffee. And at, at varying levels of um, popularity to people, just just do it. Just send the email. But she answered immediately and was like, why don't you come for coffee on Friday? And then she showed me how she animated Anna. <laughs> and so it was like, 
after that moment, and that was when I was still an intern, but after that moment, I was like, I have to work there. I have to work at Disney Animation, but I can't do what she does. So where is my place in this puzzle piece? And my first roommate out here was a production assistant in animation. And so I started learning about like what kind of skills and, and, and what does that job look like? And it actually aligned really closely with the work that I was doing because I was a production intern, meaning um, like working on the logistics of things, not necessarily like the creative, but actually like figuring out, okay, we need to um, schedule this. We need to hire these people. We need to do this. Um, and that's what animation production management is. And I love office work. I love a good spreadsheet. I love the organization and the laying out of the plan. Um, and I think that's why I'm able to still get some of my own stuff done too, is just because like that organization and just like that drive of like not being able to sleep at night until something exists in the world. And it takes a lot of planning and a lot of, um, production. So yeah, so it took me two years to get into Disney animation after meeting Amy. Um, just networking, going to women in animation events, trying to learn as much as I could about animation because I clearly did not study it. Um, and then I got a PA offer, a production assistant offer on Frozen 2 in December of 2018. And I started in January 2019. So it'll be five years in January. It seems like a lot of your career and networking so far has been built off of just taking risks and seeing if they pay off, whether it's making a trip to go to LA just so you can see if this guy makes good on his offer. Cause he, you could have flown out there and he said no. Oh yeah. And then you, and you would just too, be in LA. Also too, like the, uh, the reasoning behind it was more like, Whoa, I want to see where they make Disney stuff. And I, bought so much stuff at the employee store. Cause I was like, I'm never coming back here. <laughs> and then, like now I work down the street from it. So like, yeah. And it really is. There's just like a voice in my head that pushes me. How has the project management side that you do with your day job in Disney, how has that impacted or influenced or like the lessons that you've learned there how do you use those within Shine On or your own creative work? Like, do you see places where one impacts the other? Absolutely. I am so much more organized now and able to think holistically about um, how something needs to be done. And I'd say people management is a huge part of that too, where in production management, um, in animation, and especially in feature, you're assigned to a specific department. Um, and it's a department that maybe you've never worked in before for that show. So it's like each film. So every film I'm in a different department and then every year I need to go into a new one, a de new department, new people learn how to explain how I do my job and have them explain to me how they do their job. And then we kind of meet in the middle. Um, so I think it's made me more self-aware too, because we get feedback, um, at work. Like that's a huge part of Disney's culture is like annual feedback. And so knowing how to um, give feedback to people working with me, but also like I would say too that um, one goal that I have for Shine On in 2024 is that we're not very um, consistent in posting because this is a side hustle, not even hustle. I don't get paid. Uh, this is a side project. A passion project. And so if I'm really tired at the end of the day, I have to preserve my own sanity. And, you know, if the video gets posted later, it gets posted later, but I'm starting to get more, uh, looking at building out kind of like a schedule and having more of a system, but I've learned through trial and error. So a lot of that stuff, you know, it's taken me this long to kind of get to the point, but I, it's something that I always wanted it to be sustainable. And I knew that the more that I did everything myself, it couldn't be sustainable, but that means you need money. So how do we get money? So that's kind of where I'm at um, right now. And the hope is that in 2024, um, I'll be doing some school assemblies and helping those schools get grants. And so through my public speaking and assemblies, we'll be able to fund the videos. Um, so that's the, uh, the current plan. And so, like you said, like 
the, they all do kind of feed into each other because at the end of the day, production management and animation, when you're with that specific department, you're producing that piece of the puzzle. Um, and so all of those skills have really, um, really benefited the project. Does having a job that is so office-based make the moment when you're finally behind the camera or on a set or heading to set that much more like thrilling and rewarding for you? Sometimes, sometimes it just makes me more anxious <laughs> because like all the work that we do, um, you know, is, and I'd say it's different too, because I, when I look at my work at Disney, I see myself as part of like a rich legacy and, um, the film isn't necessarily mine. I feel like I played an important role in it. And when I see it, I'm proud of it, but it doesn't feel like me. It feels like Disney. And then when I do something myself, it feels like me <laughs> and that's scary. Like there's nothing to hide behind. Um, and so, I mean, it makes me excited um, seeing an edit of something that I've made. Uh, and like, that's kind of when I jam into it. But I also like, I definitely think um, it is exciting, but it's really kind of just anxiety producing of like, I'm making this thing, this is an extension of me versus like having, um, if you will, a day job where I'm working on other people's content. Um, and so now I'm kind of at the crossroads of wanting to keep making my own stuff and be very entrepreneurial and grassroots, but also trying to figure out like, is that the day, is that the new day job? Like, do I need to find a way to, um, make more stuff or is this working out just fine? And it's nice because I'm not using all my creative muscles at work at least not in like content creating muscles. Like I'm creative at work. Production management is creative in a different way and problem solving versus like coming up with story ideas and script and stuff like that. Does being like one of thousands and seeing film production in that way, and this is not to like go back to that, like, film school theory, critical theory, whatever analysis, does it make you a little wary of people throwing like the auteur theory around and being like, no, there is one author of the film when really, you know, credits are so many people. Yeah. I'd say in animation, um, at least the way that we make our films, it's a very collaborative process. So I couldn't, I, I think you know, every director probably works a little different. Um, and I think for us as an audience, it's, it's exciting to think like, oh, that one person did that. Um, but then every film has a thousand credits, you know, right? But at least with our films, it is very collaborative. And there's notes that come from so many places. And most of our films have two directors anyway. And then you have, um, you know, a visual effects supervisor and the production designer sometimes like sometimes multiple production designers and so I really enjoy that collaborative process and I think there's also something to be said about you know the down-to-earthness of our artists because it is so collaborative that it's not like um yeah and I think the egos are small because there are so many of us and we're all working towards the same thing and I think that's really humanizing too. What was the moment like when you saw your name appear in the Disney credits for the first time? That was crazy. I cried. Um, but that was on Frozen 2. And it was actually really, um, really empowering because we have rap parties. So I got to see that with everyone else who worked on the movie. And we're all cheering for each other's names as they come up. And so to have that little celebratory moment with the people that I worked on and then getting to see the movie again, like with my parents, um, we did a screening at um, Pullman in Huntington and had a little talk back after so that other people in the area could come 
hear kind of about my experience. And that was really exciting too, because at the end of the day, I really wanted to make sure that people knew, like, when you see a person's name in the credits of a movie, like they are a real person and you could do that too. If that is something that you really desire, like that is a job. You had another moment not too long ago where you got to celebrate your work with the people involved with your Zane screening. Talk about that documentary and Zane and why telling that story was so important. Yeah. So Zane is my best friend. We met in fourth grade at Scott Hayes elementary school in Putnam County and we're seated next to each other. Uh, Zane has an intellectual disability. Uh, in the past, I've kind of likened him to Forrest Gump in a way where he's very high functioning and social, um, but just a little bit slower. Um, and I, this started back in 20, end of 2018, early 2019. Um, I knew I wanted to make something again and was feeling really creatively inspired um, and didn't quite have the resources or the ambition <laughs> to sit and write a script and really wanted to kind of capture the essence of something in real life. And I wanted to do a character piece on Zane because Zane is hilarious. He's well-loved by the community. He is um, really... Uh, emotionally mm, he is really good at taking care of people and really loving and just a really awesome guy and he's a really hard worker and if when you watch the film too um that is kind of what ended up being the through line was that zane lost his job at lowe's actually like two months before i did the first interview and so it, we started following him um trying to find a new job and his mom is amazing his mom is like the superhero of the story um she before even knowing that her son had special needs um became a special needs got a teacher and got her doctorate in special needs and knew all the right tactics to do once he got to that transition age where you think about like what happens when a person with special needs graduates high school um, you know, a lot of us, uh, a lot of us kind of forget that like, oh, what, what do they do? Where do they go? A lot of that, um, organized effort kind of stops and it's really taken up on the individual and their guardians or caregivers. And so, yeah, what started is me just kind of wanting to be able to give a love letter to Zane ended up being more of an advocacy piece pretty early on because I was like you know what what if we he talks about work all the time and he loves work what if we followed kind of that experience and um it was definitely touch and go it wasn't like we followed him every day did not have uh the means for that but I was also still in LA and so similar to shine on videos like it it falls on me to really produce those and find uh, really good talent um, that can go and shoot things for me and then give me the ability to either interview over Zoom or wait until I come in to do the interviews. Um, and I found that in Caden and Caden Tooley and Josh Likens, who both could just go and also became besties with Zane, if that's any testament to who Zane is. And yeah, and spent about three years on it. We raised um, $14,500 on our crowdfunding campaign. There's an original song that Kindred Valley performed um, that was written by Johnny Vocht. And we have a music video for that that will come out soon. It's in the can. I just need to edit it. Um, and there's been a, a great show of community support and interest. And um, I was able to show it. Uh, for the first time to people who don't know Zane personally at Disney Animation and uh, to the Walt Disney Company's enabled um, group sponsored uh, a screening on the studio lot and at Disney Animation. And the support was just amazing. Like Zane really is this remarkable person. Um, 
who's just incredibly heartwarming and being able to share him, but then also having a deeper story to make us think about how our special needs folks treated in the job market or post-graduation um, has been really powerful. And I think it kind of reminded me like why I want to be a storyteller and a filmmaker to begin with. And that if I have an idea and act on it, like something cool can happen. Even though I'm really impatient, I didn't want it to take three years. And as I embark on this next one, I remember that. <laughs> what has the response uh, back home been so far? It was great. We did a big premiere um, in Putnam County in April, and we had probably about 100 people there. And it was just amazing. And all the time, too, people are asking where they can watch it. And I will tell you that, like, right now, it's not out there publicly anywhere because we're waiting on um, our first round of film festivals. So it's a 20-minute short documentary, and I did a 15-minute cut for film festivals to see if that will help um, our chances any. But yeah, everybody wants to see it. And I want everyone to see it. Um, hopefully we'll organize some more screenings and get some more festivals and stuff. With Shine On, are there any artists that you didn't know of before starting the project that you've fallen in love with since and have really like gone to know their work more intimately because of the work you did with Shine On? Absolutely. I'm trying to think of a few examples. And I think, too, something that's great about Shine On is that it started with people that I knew and that were in my network. And then now we're kind of in the one removed away category where people are like, you have to do one on so-and-so. And then I dig deeper into them and I'm like, and, and it helps kind of build a, a friendship and camaraderie um, for sure. Uh, Mayshawn Morton, who was um, a dancer that we did one on. I have loved becoming friends with him and following his career um, and his performances um, I'd say, well, and also too, now people know to tell me when they find someone from West Virginia and I love that. And that has been really great at continuing to expand the network. Um, and there are some West Virginia artists too, that I was obsessed with and didn't know they were from West Virginia. And one example is Heather Rios. She makes these amazing cake paintings and embroiders like her art looks like cake and you put it on your wall and she's from Morgantown and I'm obsessed with her and I'm ready to do a video on her. So like, I think it's just made me, especially having the shine on feed where I only really follow West Virginia artists. It really keeps me kind of in that community to be able to, to see, um, Kindred Valley is a great example. I knew kind of, of them, um, but then after working on the Zane doc, and then we, we did, we are doing a video on them too. Um, kind of our first one on a band. Normally we'd kind of just talk to like one individual artist. So I'm excited to kind of open that door to, to work with more West Virginia musicians too. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. I mean, like, I feel really grateful to be able to um, kind of be a central point to make connections of like the the people that maybe are expats that we haven't heard from in a while and to get them kind of dipped back into the community um, and finding the people that maybe aren't the ones, you know, playing the loud every weekend, like that I want them to be on the map too. And, you know, kind of like my next big goal other than the speaking tour is to do kind of like a coffee table book of like a hundred creative West Virginians and be able to do new additions every couple of years and really like showcase people um, that you may have never heard of and that maybe are working on big scale stuff or maybe small scale stuff. Cause I think shine on kind of started of like, Oh, we have all these West Virginians working on big scale stuff. Let's celebrate them. And through doing that, I started meeting people working on smaller scales. And I realized like there's so much validity in both. Um, I told someone once, or maybe I said this in a talk, uh, People look at me and say, oh, you work on Disney movies. Like, that's very impressive. And thank you. Um, but also, they, 
everybody wants to be already familiar with something that you've worked on. And so I think it's more impressive that a West Virginia filmmaker finds financing for their feature film or their short film and goes out and makes it and nobody knows who they are or what they're doing or why. Like, I think that's more impressive. Um, I think through that kind of methodology is where Shine On has been able to embrace both like people working on big projects that everyone knows and then people self-publishing on Kindle. And so that's really those two worlds kind of come together through the West Virginia community. And so I, uh, I hope we're able for many years to keep celebrating both of those avenues and to just not stop. And so the goal for 2024 is to have sustainable videos and content that comes out, you know, two videos a month or like every other week. And we'll see if we can pull that off. We are stuck in this environment where it is very hands-on and DIY because if we don't do it ourselves, no one is going to do it for us. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do agree with just the infrastructure of making these videos or even promoting people here. Like I have to have like the bigger, more recognizable names within the community on and get those people listening uh, to be able to spotlight like the smaller people too. And it's just an ecosystem that feeds each other. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I have heard from people um, in a very natural, like organic way that like, Oh, I bought more Christmas gifts from small indie West Virginia artists because of your gift guide. Or um, there was a, uh, Mayshawn Morton, who is the dancer, like he was still in West Virginia doing clinicals, like teaching choreography and some dance teacher who I'd never met before happened across the video and hired him for like a guest teaching job because of that video. And um, Beth Keener Flannery um, was able to use that video to, um, I think, get a grant to like do a mural. So it's like... I, I love those kind of ripple effects and I hope that we can continue to build our audience so that those get bigger and bigger. Right. So like that would be another hope is that like, if you're West Virginian, you need to follow us. Like you don't have an excuse. I feel like a lot of people within being from West Virginia or Appalachia in general, there is growing up and maybe in those like teen high school years a sort of like resentment towards the place and this idea of like oh there's nothing here there's no opportunities there's nothing to do whatever i'm gonna leave this town the moment i can um was there ever a moment where this sort of like appalachian west virginia identity unlocked for you and you became more proud of it or did you always kind of have that sense of pride i have a lot of gratitude to my mom and my grandparents who were my mama and papa on both sides who were always really proud of west virginia and my mom especially like coming from a news background like knew all kinds of people and made those connections and um just had a lot of pride like in our state And, um, you can't really appreciate that until you leave, I think a lot of times. And so for me, I was never really down on West Virginia. I think it also too, I love a good underdog, like in everything that I do, like I, you know, want to lift up those who need the help or are not the majority or are not like, um, you know, I, I, I don't always want to be on the winning team. I want to be on the team that has to like fight and get the glory, you know? And, um, So I think just even just leaving the state and going to college in North Carolina and being told like, oh, congrats, you made it out. And I'm like, out of what? Like, I don't know. Um, And also too, like, come on, people in North Carolina would razz me and it's like, you're from North Carolina. You don't have a better reputation than us, but thank you. Um, so yeah, I think just leaving 
leaving gives you good perspective and makes you recognize more. And once you get in the headspace of like every win for a West Virginian is a win for me, is a win for us, is a win for all of us, like, and that kind of pride. And it's funny because <laughs> one of my friends one time, like I was listening to music with them and I was like, oh, this person is. And she goes, let me guess a West Virginian. I was like, no, that's not what I was going to say, but thank you. Like, I like being kind of that encyclopedia and I don't think I'm alone in that. I think um, there are a lot of people who in West Virginia who kind of track those things and, and have that pride. A uh, friend of mine at work was wearing a Kinship Goods shirt. She has no connection to West Virginia. And I was like, hey, your shirt was made in West Virginia. And she was like, oh, cool. So like, I don't know, just feeling like that win for us. And it's, and recognizing too, coming to LA, that it is a myth that based on where you live has to do with how good you are at your craft or how easy it is to get the job. I work with people who spent longer than me trying to get into Disney animation and they live, they were born and raised in studio city in the West side of LA. Like it, it, a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is hard work, but I think we get down on like, Oh, I'm just from a small town, but like so many people are. And I think that gives us a more unique viewpoint. Um, you know, so yeah, so I think honestly, being the longer I'm away, the the prouder I am, and I'm very blessed um, that through the pandemic I was able to live at home for ten months. And um, my husband is also from Hurricane, West Virginia, so I think that's another thing that has been really great. Like everyone needs to marry someone from their home county because then holidays are super easy. You just go one place. Um, but I think that has also having, you know, now two families and two roots like in West Virginia um, and having the ability to go home. And once I got more plugged in with the projects that I was doing, um, personal projects and shine on, it makes going home so fun because then I'm able to have coffee with all these people and make more videos and make more connections. Um, and it was actually Caden, like we were shooting a shine on West Virginia video and I said, I'm jealous of you. And he said, why? And I was like, because you're making cool stuff. And he was like, I was, I was like, you made your own short film and it looked gorgeous. And he was like, why don't we make one of yours? And I was like, you're joking. Cause like in LA, everybody wants their own thing made. Everybody needs money to pay rent. And Kate was like, no, I was like, I have no money. He was like, let's do it. Let's make it. And that's how professional bully kind of got made. Cause I was like, and I'm really glad I did that too. Cause I'm like, Caden is so freaking talented. Like how many talented people are just like, Hey, let's make your thing and I'll make it pretty for you. Um, so that kind of attitude makes me excited to like keep making stuff every time I go home. can keep up to date with shine on west virginia on facebook and instagram we're right around the corner from the holiday season so that gift guide will come in handy disney's wish enters theaters on november 22nd thank you for listening to commonplace if you like today's episode i ask that you subscribe leave a review share with a friend these are free ways that help the show in a big way the show is hosted and produced by me nathan thomas our theme song is rescio by goodwolf from the album car in the woods We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode of Commonplace.